Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Uh, So far in Galatians, we've learned of the true gospel and the reality that there are many false gospels out there that would attempt to pull believers away from Christ. So that's how the Galatians started out in chapter 1. We've also learned and been reassured in some good theology, mainly the doctrine of justification. Right? The doctrine of justification says that one is justified, made right with God, through faith in Jesus Christ, and not at all by works. Not at all by your working or striving or doing well enough. None of that brings justification. It's not following the law. It's not what you do or don't do. Justification, being declared right before God, comes only through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Through the work that He has done, but through the work that he has accomplished and finished on your behalf. Your right standing with God comes through just believing in that and trusting yourself to it. And so when you come to faith in Christ, God the Father forgives you of sin, but he also declares you to be righteous before him with the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself that's been given to you, that's been credited to your account before him. You are therefore made acceptable to God. You are acceptable to him. He can receive you into his presence. You are worthy of eternal life and the eternal relationship with God Almighty because of Christ. So justification. These are things we've learned so far through the book of Galatians. So now as we come to chapter 5, through the rest of the, uh, of the book, the rest of this letter, we get some practical application. Right? Many of the New Testament books, we see this, right? Good theology, what we need to know, and then how do we live this out? And we have that here in Galatians as well in the last couple chapters. How do we live out this position of justification that is ours in Christ? What does it look like in the life of a believer? What are the practical implications of living free in Christ? And so that's what we will begin to dive into this morning. So let's pray, and then we'll read. Father, now we ask that you would come and that you would open our minds and our hearts to your word. Thank you for your word that is truth and is our foundation. And so, God, now as we open your word and as we preach, God, help us to receive your word through your spirit and bring application to our lives. There would be much fruitfulness to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read the first six verses, but I'm mainly preaching on the first three Uh, this morning. So Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So the first thing we want to consider this morning, what did Christ set us free from? That's an important question, right? We need to know that. It's actually a critical question to your salvation. When you consider your salvation, what is it that you have been set free from? Well, to truly understand freedom, which is where we want to go this morning, you must first understand slavery, right? To understand your freedom in Christ, you have to first understand where you've come from. What is that slavery? What is that that Christ has freed you from? And so what is that? Well, there are many, many answers to that question. Let's start with the most obvious answer first, which is sin, right? Sin. We all have sin in our very being, in our nature through birth, and we all sin in thought, word, and deed, right? We have sin of commission, sins that we commit, sins of omission, things we don't do that we should be doing according to God's word. And so everyone, all have sinned, right? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But you also need to know your sin comes with consequence. It has result, right? Sin separates you from God. And it brings all kinds of chaos and destruction into your life, right? So we've been set free from sin. That's good. Let's think further. What else has Christ set you free from? Let me give you a few things. Christ has set you free from condemnation, right? You are free of the punishment that should be yours due to your sin. You're free of the sin of sin's eternal consequences for you, right? There are eternal consequences of condemnation. You're free of those. Christ has set you free from hell, right? In your sin, you were destined for death, for hell, for an eternity of God's wrath because of your sin. Christ has set you free from that. Christ has set you free from the devil and his power in your life. You've been set free from his fatherhood over you, from his controlling influence that he had over you. You've been set free from that. Christ has set you free from the things of this world. Yes, you are now in the world, but you are not of the world. You've been set free of it. Christ has set you free from a life without Jesus himself. Right? You have a Savior, a friend, an advocate. Right? You are united to Jesus through faith. Christ has set you free from that life apart from him. Christ has set you free from fear. Fear of death, fear of abandonment, fear of failure, all kinds of fear. He set you free from fear. Christ has set you free from false religion. Right? You don't need to be led astray. You don't need to figure out a path to enlightenment. You don't need to get caught up in trying to be good enough for God to accept you. Christ has set you free. Right? What else has, God set, has Christ set you free from? Christ has set you free from guilt, free from the law, free from methods of self-justification, free from legalism. He set you free from all that would keep you apart from God. Every last bit of it. 
Christ has set you free. So the first step in understanding your freedom in Christ is to understand the gravity of your sin, your own depravity, the consequences of your sin, right? And what has Christ set you free from? All of it. All of it. Praise God, right? Every last bit of God's wrath that you deserve for your sin, free. An eternity in hell away from Christ, free. Right? All the fears that come in this life and all the terrible things of this life, free. Christ has set you free. So we have freedom in Christ. Right? So the next thing we want to see is how did Christ set us free? So you are free in Christ. Christ has set you free. How did he do that? Well, to begin with, we want to first acknowledge what the verse says here. Christ has set you free. So you're free. Christ has set you free. He alone has done it. Right? There aren't many ways to freedom. Right? There's not a menu of choices that you can look at and pick, oh, which method of freedom do I want? No, no, no. There's not that. Jesus Christ alone sets sinners free. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except one way through me. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, only one. Romans 6.23, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ has set you free. No bit of your own work, no bit of your own goodness has contributed to the fact that you are free, Christ alone has set you free. How did he do that? Well, he united himself to you and you to himself. Right? There's a unity, a uniting that takes place. He has become one of us. He took on humanity. Right? He lived a righteous life of perfect obedience to God the Father. Pastor Mark touched on that before. You can't live perfectly in perfect obedience, but you can live in faithful obedience. Christ was different. He lived in perfect obedience. He took on your sin in his suffering and his death. He was buried and raised to life again. He ascended into heaven where he maintains his eternal reign. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to teach you truth, to convict you of sin, to grant you the gift of faith that you might believe in him. Jesus Christ set you free by his own work, by his own doing. And his freedom, this salvation that he has given is completely secure. You can rest in it and trust in it because Jesus is Lord forever and ever. Right? If Jesus wasn't Lord, we have reason to be concerned. But Jesus Christ is Lord. He holds you. He keeps you in this salvation, in this free, by his freedom that he has given you. Christ alone has done it. He has set you free by his own working. So then what is Christ's purpose in setting us free? Look at the verse again. For freedom... For freedom, Christ has set us free. 
Here's his purpose for freedom, that you might be free. Okay, now his purpose of setting you free was that you might actually be free. Not just theoretically, but actually, practically free, that you might truly experience freedom. True freedom. Christ sets you free positionally, spiritually, in relationship to him, that you might have freedom experientially in your life, that he might draw your heart to himself, and that in that you might experience true freedom, freedom from all these things that we have talked about. We see this in two ways. Well, we'll look at it in two ways. First, number one, there is eternal freedom. Eternal freedom, right? Someday your body will die. Outwardly, you're wasting away, the Bible says. Sorry to break that news to you, right? But most of you already know that, (laughs) right? And one day this body will die. Your life on earth will end. What then? What then? Your soul will go on. Your body will one day be be resurrected, united with your soul. But Christ has set you free for that time. Right? He has set you free from that time. Your freedom, for freedom, for freedom then, he has set you free. He set you free now so that when you die, you will have eternal freedom to live in heaven with God, face to face with Christ forever and ever. Freedom then. That time will be a free time, a time free of all sin. Sin will be no more. Its consequence will be gone. That's true Freedom. Right? That is freedom. That's eternal freedom. What a freedom that will be to live and experience forever, eternally. Right? For freedom, for eternal freedom, Christ has set you free. But here's what we sometimes miss. Secondly, Christ sets you free that you might walk in freedom now. Right? That you might walk in freedom now. John eight thirty six says, So if the Son, Jesus, has set you free, you will be free Indeed, not just, again, not just theoretically, not just somewhere out there, I guess I'm free. It's a reality. It's a reality in your life. This is God's purpose, part of Christ's purpose in setting you free, that you might live it, experience it, know it, feel it, to know true freedom now, that you would walk in that freedom and live in that freedom now, not just know it intellectually, not just to be able to make a list of all that Christ has set you free from and have, it no, have no effect in your life. Freedom now that you would feel it, that it would affect you emotionally, right? That it would make a difference in how you live, the choices you make, the words you say in this life. Walking in freedom now. This state of freedom is a freedom to walk in the Spirit, as we'll see later in Galatians 5. A freedom to honor and exalt Jesus. A freedom to glorify God. That's why you have been set free. That you might know it and experience. Experience the blessings of God. You're free to live a worshipful life. To live free of sin. To live to love God and to love others. Free to live to please God and honor Him and glorify Him in your life. Now, some of you probably don't experience this freedom much in your life because you view God as a heavy-handed judge. You see the law. 
or a form of the law. I have to be good enough or God's going to come after me. Right? Let me tell you, God is a heavy-handed judge. You're right, but only to those apart from Christ. Only to those apart from Christ. For those united to Christ through faith, you were to walk in freedom. Not fearing God's condemnation in this life or in the life to come because Christ was condemned in your place. Yes, God may bring discipline into your life, and he will because he cares for you and loves you and wants your best, but there's no condemnation. If you were living in a, an ongoing, continual fear of God, do I measure up? Will he accept me? You're not experiencing this freedom that Galatians 5.1 is talking about. Right? Christ has set you free from all these things in order that you might truly experience freedom and live it and walk in it now. Here's an example for you. Who's been to the zoo recently? Anybody been to the zoo? We don't have many around here, so not too many hands. Right? You've been to the zoo. Okay, let's say you're a bear at the zoo. All right? You're a bear at the zoo. You're locked up in your cage. And one day the zookeeper decides to open the door to your cage and set you free. So the zookeeper psh, opens the door. If you still remain in the cage, are you free? Well, sure you are. The door is open. You're free to go. But are you experiencing your freedom? No. You're still in the cage, right? You aren't experiencing your freedom until you leave the cage and go running in the woods. Right? Then you are experiencing, you're living out your freedom. It was for the purpose of freedom that the zookeeper opened the cage and set you free, set the bear free, right? Not that you would remain sitting in the cage. Christ set you free that you might experience freedom, that you might go and walk in that freedom to feel it, to know it, to experience it, to live it out. So then what do we do with this freedom? For freedom, Christ has set you free. What do we do with this freedom? First, number one, believe it. Believe it. Receive it into your life. Believe in the sufficiency of Christ's death and resurrection for sin. Believe that the righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled in you through Christ. Believe in the perfect righteousness of Christ imputed to you, credited to your account. This is what God the Father sees when he looks at your sin account. He sees nothing. He sees perfect obedience because of Christ. Believe that the law no longer has any sway over your justification and your acceptance with God. There's no power for that. It's not involved any longer. Some of you, in the way you think and the way you live, you struggle to believe that you are actually free in this way. Because you don't believe that you are free, you struggle to live freely. You must know the truth, believe it, and receive it, and then you can live it out. So believe this freedom that is yours through Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Believe it. Number two, second thing, what do you do with it? Stand firm. We see this in verse one. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. 
Stand firm in the freedom of the gospel. If you consider these words, stand firm, you'll see that it's a command. Right? This is a command given. You are to do this. It's not an option for you. It's not a gentle suggestion. Well, maybe you'd like to choose to stand firm in the freedom. No, do it. Stand firm. Do this. This is a fight. Right? You know there's no such thing as a soft Christianity, right? You know that Christianity is a fight on multiple battlefronts, right? This is one of them. You'll need to fight to remain in this position of freedom, this mindset that I am free in Christ. It's going to take effort on your part. It's going to take action. It's going to take a conscious choice, an act of your will to remain here, to fight to stay here, to keep putting this truth in your mind over and over again so that you don't go back to the law. You don't go back to the old ways of the old sinful patterns. Stand firm in this freedom. Third thing, number three, no longer sin. What do we do with this freedom that is ours? No longer sin. You'll be tempted to use your freedom for sin. Right? I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Right? Well, no. No, that's not what God has for us. That's not this freedom that he's talking about. We're free to live and worship him. Turn with me briefly back a few books to Romans chapter 6. Back to the left in your Bibles, a few books, Romans chapter 6. Here's what we read starting in verse 6. Okay, there's no condemnation, verse chapter 5, or apart from sin. Okay, chapter 6, verse 1. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So walk in newness of life. Don't go back to the old way of sin. Don't continue in sin. Don't do whatever your fleshly desires ask you to do. That's putting yourself back in the position of slavery. Slavery to sin, the old way. Walk in the freedom that has been given to you. No longer sin. Don't go back to it. Your choosing sin will greatly inhibit this freedom in Christ that is yours, for which Christ has set you free. You'll have a hard time receiving and living out this position of freedom when you choose to just go ahead and give in to the flesh, give in to the world, give in to the lies of the devil, that's not experiencing this freedom for which Christ has set you free. No longer sin. Fight it. Put it to death. Kill it. Be done with it. No longer sin. So then as we go back to chapter 5 of Galatians, continuing in verse 1, so for freedom Christ has set you free, stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So what does a return to slavery here look like? Right? Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Well, don't return to the law. Or don't take up a form 
of the law. See, we can easily say, well, I don't follow the law. You know, that's the Old Testament, that's Jewish law. I, obviously, I don't do that. But we can bring all kinds of forms of law. Do this, don't do that, right? A form of the law. So don't return to law. Don't take up your own new made law. Instead, cling to Christ. Hold to him. Don't go back into that slavery. As we continue verse 2, Paul says, look, pay attention. He says, I, Paul. Okay, now let's pause right there. Paul's the author. He's the one writing the, the letter to the Galatians, right? He's calling here on his authority as an apostle, right? Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of the Lord. Right? He's calling on his authority as an apostle over these false teachers that we see throughout the book of Galatians who are coming in and teaching something different. So I, Paul, I'm the one with authority here. Okay? So then, verses 2 and 3, Paul starts talking a little bit about circumcision. Let's read those again. I, Paul, verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So circumcision here was tied to the Old Testament law. It was a sign of faith, right, through the Old Testament law. Here in Galatians, it had become a work of the law that some false teachers had brought in. They were selfishly and boastfully preaching uh, and teaching and trying to convince people to be circumcised so they, they could boast about it, saying that you need this work of the law plus faith in order to be justified. Right? In order to be acceptable to God, you need some work of the law in addition to faith. And we see here throughout Galatians, this is a grave distortion of the gospel. It is no gospel at all we see in chapter 1. So verse 2, what is Paul saying? If you take on the works of the law, Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for you has therefore no advantage to you, no benefit to you, because you are rejecting it and you're going to the law, right? You're trying to work for your justification. You're trying to work for your righteous standing. There's no beneficial purpose behind all that Christ has done. Right? Verse 3, Paul says, if you rely on part of the law, if you take on a little bit of it, if you take on a part of it, you therefore have to rely on all of it. Right? You can't just take a little piece of it. It's not faith plus a little bit here. It's, if you take on this little bit, you've got to take on the whole law. Right? Justification is either completely in the law or it's completely in Christ. The law leads to slavery. We've seen that throughout Galatians, right? What does the law do? It convinces you that you have sin and you need Christ, right? Because you can't measure up. The law is slavery. If Christ has set you free, why in your conscience would you put any bit of hope in the law, right? To rely on the law or any bit of your good work for justification is to submit again to a yoke of slavery, to put that burden of slavery back upon your shoulders. Now, unfortunately, there are churches and denominations that 
add works, that add law to faith for justification. Those works that must continue, right? If you're going to go to works, works of the law, those works must continue throughout this life, well, and maybe in the next life too, after death, right? They have to continue on until you can work enough to finally be acceptable to God and declared righteous and justified before him, right? So here's the question. How much work of the law is enough to cover your sin? How much is enough? When is it done? You owe an eternal debt to a holy God. So do you want to put yourself back under a yoke of slavery? Do you want to bring upon yourself the obligation to follow the whole law, every bit of it, in perfect obedience? Do you want to enslave yourself to an eternal debt that you won't ever be able to pay off? This is the false teaching that was coming in. And that's still around in our day today, right? The law is a package deal. If you take some of it, you get all of it. That's how it works. And yet this is what some churches and some denominations and some people do. It's what they teach. What do we read in Galatians in chapter 1? This all is a distortion of the gospel to the point where it is no gospel at all. It is not good news that you have to work to be justified before God. That's a message of damnation, not a message of justification. There is only one justification, only one way to experience freedom for which Christ has set you free. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. But oh, what a temptation it is. We think we have to do something. We have to have some part in it. We have to have some work of the law. We have to have some level of goodness in our lives to be acceptable to God. We must throw that thought out. We must stand firm in our belief that it is for freedom. Christ has set you free. Walk in that freedom. So let's make a few applications here as we wrap up. First thing we want to look up is corporate. Corporate applications. Applications for us, the church. Number one, be aware of the dangers. Okay, There are dangers to this doctrine of justification by faith alone. What are those dangers? False teachers. False gospels. Right? We see this in Galatians. We see this in our day. Another danger is our own thinking of what is right and what makes sense, right? Our own thoughts of how we are justified. We have to be aware of those dangers. Second, for corporate, for us as the church application, be thoughtful in how you view and treat others, right? Be real thoughtful in how you view and treat others. There are right judgments that we are called to make, And there are wrong judgments we can make against one another. So be careful there. Be wise. We must not make unbiblical demands of one another. Right? We should not break fellowship over 
your petty expectations of others. They aren't measuring up to your standard. So we have to be aware. We have to be thoughtful of how we view others and therefore how we treat them. Third application for us as the church, be real with one another. Be real with one another. You can expose your sin before others. You can get help you need because you are free. And there are others, pastors, elders, deacons, others in the church who are available to you. If you'll just be honest and be real. Here's my struggle. I need help. Help me to experience freedom, the freedom for which Christ has set me free in this area of sin, this area of struggle in my life. There's no need to cover and to hide. Let's be honest and real with one another. So there's corporate application for us as a church. Second, let's look at individual application here. Individuals, for you as an individual believer in Christ. Number one, don't think you're any good because of what you do. Right? Don't think you're any good because of what you do. Those of the world try to do this. They create laws of what is good and what is bad according to their own thinking. You're good if you recycle and save the planet. Then you're good. You're bad if you're not inclusive of everybody. You're good if you say that guns are bad. Right? You're bad if you don't talk softly and kindly all the time to everybody. Right? And then they justify themselves by following their own self-made laws. And they condemn you if you don't follow their self-made laws, if you don't do the same, right? Don't listen to the things of this world, right? And don't think that you're good just because of what you do, because you think you're starting to measure up and, and be something for Christ. You are only good because of Christ and the work that the Holy Spirit does in your life. So rest securely in the true justification that comes through faith in Christ. Let your whole acceptance, your whole stance before God, your whole sense of goodness and worth be only founded in Christ, not in yourself and what you do or don't do. Second application for us as a individual believers in Christ, continue to look to Christ and abide in Him. Look to Christ and abide on Him. You need, continually, you need the, the, the gospel in your life. So meditate on it. Meditate on the good work of Christ on your behalf. Right? There are many temptations that would draw you away, that would attempt to make you doubt God's word, that would attempt to make you doubt God's goodness. Temptations to lead you to look to your own sin rather than to Christ. We have to keep looking to Christ. Now, part of this becomes acknowledging the, the depth of our sin, right? And the um, depravity of it, right? You haven't and you can't keep the whole law. You need Christ today and every day. We have to understand that our sin, without, apart from Christ, sends us to hell. We are condemned, right? That is you. That is your sin, but Christ, but Christ alone, Christ has set you free. Third thing, 
point of application, do not go back into sin. Do not go back into sin. We talked about this a little bit. So Paul wrote in verse 2, I, Paul. He was taking his authority and communicating, right? Well, here we go. I, Jeff, your pastor at Pine Grove, say to you, do not go back into sin. Don't go there. Don't return to old ways. Don't return to the old patterns of thinking. Put them to death and be done with them. I, Jeff, your pastor, tell you, don't return to methods of trying to self-justify, of trying to build up your righteousness before God. Don't go there. Don't go back into sin. Don't do it. Instead, look to Christ. He is your only hope. He is the only possibility of your justification before God. So look to him. You have freedom to be able to say, I have great sin in my life, but I am looking to Christ alone as my justification before the Father. Therefore, I choose to no longer walk in sin. I am free in Christ, and I'm going to walk in that freedom. Do not go back into sin. Lastly, fourth application for us as individuals. Know that in Christ, you are eternally accepted by the Father. You are eternally accepted by the Father. Do you hear that? Could there be any greater news? Because of Christ, because you are united to him in faith, you are eternally accepted by the Father. You get to enter into his presence now and forever and ever without fear of condemnation, without fear that he's going to come and put the smack down. You are free to walk with Christ now and forever fully in his presence. Take comfort in this freedom. Believe it so that you can live it. Let it bring you peace and rest and joy. This freedom for which Christ has set us free should be a great thing for us to walk in. It should bring us great joy. Yes, there's difficult things in life, but we should experience in our lives freedom. Freedom to walk with Christ. Freedom to worship. Freedom to live our lives to God's glory because Christ has set us free free. And that's it. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, you are holy and we worship you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that Christ has set us free, free from our sin and all of its consequence, free from the condemnation that was ours. Thank you that we are now free of it all and free to live our lives in worshipful response to who you are and all that you have done. Thank you that we are free now and free for all of eternity. Help us to know this freedom, to believe it, to receive it into our lives, and to walk in it. Let it bring us great peace and joy and comfort. God, help us to encourage one another with this message of freedom in Christ. Thank you that we are declared righteous in your sight because of Jesus and not because of any of our own good work. Help us not to take up again the yoke of slavery, but to stand firm in this freedom for which Christ has set us free. May it be to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.